Mesech's Bikurim Perek Beis Mishnah Aleph until Perek Beis Mishnah Dalad. The second Perek of Bikurim goes very sidetracked from the main subject of Bikurim, because the focus of this entire Perek is to compare different things, and see similarities between different things, and also differences. So for example, the first few Mishnahis will compare Truma, Bikurim, and Maiseshemi, and show how each one is similar to each other, how they're different. And just before we see that, let's just recall what exactly Truma is. So Truma is the gift which one gives of his produce to Kayanim. It's on average 2% of his produce, 1 50th, although some people would give 1 60th or 1 40th of their produce. That's Truma. My Sashani, after one has separated Truma and my Sarishan, which is a tenth which goes to a Levi, a tenth of the remaining produce is separated as Maiseshani during the first, second, fourth, and fifth years of the Shemitah cycle, and that has to be brought up to Yerushalayim and eaten there. So it's kept by the owner and he eats it, but he has to do that in Yerushalayim. So the first mission is going to list lots of things which apply to Truma and Bikurim, but not to Maiseshani. And the next few Mishnahs are actually a fantastic way to review Seder Zerayim, because almost all of these laws we would have learnt earlier in earlier Masechtas, and this is just summarizing them in a few Mishnahs. So let's begin. Number one, Chayovna Lehem Misa. One is liable to the death penalty by the hands of Hashem if he eats Truma or Bikurim intentionally, and he is a non kohen he's a Tsar. The Torah says so explicitly when talking about Truma, and elsewhere the Torah calls Bikurim Truma. Trumas Yodcha. And that's in fact where we learn most of the laws in this Mishnah, from the fact that Bikurim is called Truma, so it shares many laws with Truma. And the truth is, when it comes to Bikurim, the Gemara states that one would only be Chayv Misa for eating Bikurim if he eats them after they entered the Beis Hamikdash. But if he eats them before, although it's forbidden, he would not be Chayv Misa, continues the Mishnah, the Chaymesh, he would be obligated to pay a Chaymesh, an added fifth to the value of the Bikurim, and that refers to one who eats Truma or Bikurim mistakenly, so he needs to pay back its value plus a chaymesh, which we've explained means plus a quarter, he would have to pay that to a kohen. And of course these two punishments do not apply to Maiseshani, which is eaten by a non-kohen, Vasurim Lazarim, and of course Truma and Bikurim are forbidden for non-kohenim to eat, the Heimlich Sei Kohen, they are considered to be the possession of the kohen who receives them, which means that he can really use them for anything, he can sell them for anything, not specifically food items, they are not considered to be Momen Govoya, which means the possession of the High One, the possession of Hashem as it were, so this mission is of the opinion that Maestro Shani is considered to be Momen Govoya, and that's why for example Maestro Shani has lots of restrictions in terms of what you can buy with it, and it's not considered to be the possession of the person who can eat it, rather as we said it is called Momen Govoya. Continues the mission of the Olim Truma and Bikrim are nullified in a mixture of one in a hundred, meaning if it is mixed together with Chulin, only if there are a hundred times more Chulin than Truma or Bikurim, would the Truma or Bikurim be nullified. But if there's less than a hundred times more Chulin, then the entire mixture is treated as Truma. If you're not sure where in the mixture is the Truma, then you need to treat the entire mixture as if it was Truma or Bikurim, of course. When it comes to Maiseshani, on the other hand, as long as the majority is Chulin, then the Maiseshani would be nullified. So in that sense, Maishani is much more lenient than Bikurim. Furthermore, says the Mishnah, One needs to wash their hands before eating Trim or Bikurim, and this is because Medirabonon, one's hands, are considered to be a Shani Latuma, which is a second-degree Tuma. And the Halach is that a Shani Latuma, if that touches regular food, the food does not become Tome, because the Shani Latuma is already quite a low-level Tuma. However, if a Shani Latuma touches Truma, and the same goes for Bikurim, Truma can become a Shlishi Latuma, a third-degree Tuma, 
meaning if it touches a Shani Latuma, then it would become Tome. So since one's hands are considered to be a Shani Latuma, before eating Truma or Bikurim, one needs to wash his hands in order to remove that Tuma, so that he does not make the Truma or Bikurim Tome. But when it comes to Maishashani, that cannot become a Shalishinatuma. So even if your hands remain a Shalishinatuma, that's not a problem, since it's impossible for Maishashani to become a Shalishinatuma. And finally, if a comb becomes Tomei, the halacha is, even after his whole purification process, and after he has been to the mikveh in order to purify himself, although he has completed his purification process, for certain things the Torah says that he has to wait until the night in order to do. For example, he's not allowed to eat carbonus, and the same goes for truma, until the night. So for the rest of that day, he can't eat Trimal Bikurim, but he would be able to eat my Sashani. So the Mishnah says it needs the Harav Shemesh, it needs the sun to go down in order to be able to eat Trimal Bikurim once again, after becoming Tomei. And that concludes the list of Hari Elut Batrimal Bikurim. Those are the things which apply to Trimal Bikurim, Masha Inghim Bamaisa, which do not apply to my Sashani. Mishnah base. Now we're going to have a list of Yesh Bamaisa of Abikurim, the things which do apply to my Sashani and Bikurim. The similarities between them, Masha Enkim Batruma, which do not apply to Truma. So the first one on the list is quite an obvious one, Sheha Maisava Habikurim, because Maisashani and Bikurim to Udon Havas Mokim, they need to be brought to a certain place. Of course, Maisashani has to be brought to Yerushalayim and eaten there, whereas Bikurim has to be brought to the base Hamikdash and eaten by the Kranim within Yerushalayim. Secondly, Udunum Vidri. They require a declaration. As we learned at the end of Maseches Maisashani, there's a whole Vidri HaMaisras, which is a declaration made on the Pesach of the fourth and seventh year of the Shemitah cycle, and that's when one declares that he has separated all of his tithes, and he's removed all of it from his house. And when it comes to Bikurim, of course, he has to read the Mikra Bikurim, which is mainly thanking Hashem for the land and for the produce. Vasrim Lo'onein, they are forbidden to be eaten by an Onein. An Onein is somebody whose relative has died, and for the entire day that he has died, it is forbidden for this mourner, this relative, to eat Maisashani or Bikurim. There's a clear posse which shows that one cannot eat Maisashani when he is an Oinein, because in his video Hamaisus, in his declaration, he states, I didn't eat from it while I was an Oinein. And when it comes to Bikurim, Bikurim has to be brought in a state of rejoicing, and also eaten in a state of rejoicing, and therefore an Oinein may not eat Bikurim. However, Rabbi Shimon argues, Rabbi Shimon Matir, Rabbi Shimon permits a Kohen who is an Oinein to eat Bikurim, and Rabbi Shimon learns this from the fact that Bikurim is called Truma. So since Truma can be eaten even by an Oinein, the same applies to Bikurim. Alright, continues the mission with the list. The Chayovim Babir, Maisashani and Bikurim are obligated in Biur. Biur refers to the obligation to remove from one's house any tithes which haven't been eaten yet. When it comes to the Pesach of the 4th or 7th year of the Shemitah cycle, so all tithes which go to Koyanim or Levim or poor people need to be given to them. However, Maisashani, which is eaten by the owner himself, that needs to be destroyed. And according to the Tanakama, that applies to Bikurim as well. And he learns this also from a Posok in the Vidui Hamaisras. But once again, Rabbi Shimon Plater, Rabbi Shimon exempts the Bikurim from being destroyed. Rather, he holds that it should be given to a Koyen, just like Truma. Since once again, since Bikurim is called Truma, Rabbi Shimon holds that it has very similar laws to Truma. So just like Truma is given to its owner and it's not destroyed, so to Bikurim should be given to its rightful owner, a Kohen, and it does not need to be destroyed and removed from the world. Now the halacha is that if a prohibited item is mixed with a permitted item, so in general the prohibited item can be nullified as long as there's enough permitted items in the mixture. 
However, there is a rule which we have come across a couple of times in the last few Masechtas, which is that something which can become permitted in another way other than nullification, it's not even nullified one in a thousand. Even if there are a thousand times more permitted items in the mixture, it will not nullify the forbidden item, since the idea of nullification is that it permits an item which is forbidden. But if the forbidden item is not totally intrinsically forbidden, because it can become permitted in another way, so then nullification will not work to permit it. Now when it comes to the Kurum and Maishashini, if they are in Yerushalayim, and then they are mixed together with some Chulin, and let's say there's 500 times more Chulin than Bikurim or Maishashini, the Mishnah says, Vasurim Kol Shehain, they are forbidden even if it's only a tiny amount. Any amount of Bikurim or Maishashini which are mixed together with permitted items, Melechel Yerushalayim, it's forbidden to eat that in Yerushalayim. And the reason is because Bikurim and Maishashini are each considered a Dovashi Matirin. Maishashini can be eaten by anybody, as long as it's in Yerushalayim. So there's an easy way of permitting the entire mixture, and that is by just eating all of it in Yerushalayim, treating the entire mixture as Maishashini, and you'll still be able to eat it. And the same goes for Bikurim. A Kohen will still be able to eat the entire mixture, as long as he does so in Yerushalayim. So because it's not intrinsically forbidden, you're allowed to eat both Bikurim and Maishashini, as long as you stay within Yerushalayim, so it is not nullified, and therefore you cannot take it out of Yerushalayim. If it was nullified, then you would just treat the entire thing as Chulin, and you'd be able to eat it anywhere. But since there is a way for you to still be able to eat it, even without nullification, so nullification does not apply. Now the truth is, if Bikurim or Maishashini are mixed with Chulin before they have reached Yerushalayim, then they would be nullified. The reason being that until Bikurim and Maishashini have been brought to Yerushalayim, they are forbidden to eat. So until they've been brought into Yerushalayim, they're considered an intrinsically forbidden item, such that they would be nullified in a mixture of Chulin. Of course, as we explained in the previous Mishnah, Maishashini is nullified as long as the majority is Chulin, whereas Bikurim is only nullified if there are a hundred times more Chulin units than Bikurim. Continues the Mishnah, it's forbidden to plant Truma Bikurim and Maishashini. Now, with Yabonon, if you do plant those things, then that which grows from them is also considered to be Truma Maishashini or Bikurim. However, if Truma is mixed together with Chulin, and the Truma is not nullified, if it is then planted, then that which grows from it is considered Chulin, since anyway the majority of that mixture is Chulin, and it's only with Yabonon that we treat it all as Truma, so that which grows from it is considered Chulin. On the other hand, when it comes to Bikurim and Maishashini, even once the Bikurim have been mixed together with Chulin, and as we said before, they cannot be nullified, despite the fact that the majority of the mixture is Chulin, nevertheless, if you plant them, that which grows from them is forbidden to eat in Yerushalayim, meaning if they are planted in Yerushalayim, then they are forbidden to eat. And again, the reason is the same as the previous case, because we don't view Bikurim and Maishashini as intrinsically forbidden, because they can be eaten very easily as long as you just do it in Yerushalayim. So since there is even now a permitted way to eat them, so planting does not permit them, since they can be permitted in a different way, in fact they are already permitted in a different way, namely by eating them in Yerushalayim. So the last two things which are on the list, were that even when Bikurim or Maishashini is mixed together with Chulin, we view it all as if it was real Bikurim. So one consequence of that is that you can't take it out of Yerushalayim, you have to still eat it within Yerushalayim. But another couple of consequences are Aflazorim, even for non koyanim meaning a non koyan cannot eat that mixture of Bikurim and Chulin. The Labahemah, you're not allowed to feed the mixture of Maishashini and Chulin to an animal, just like you're not allowed to feed definite Maishashini to one's animal. 
Now, Rabbi Shimon argues on one of the things we listed, and that is that we said it's forbidden, according to the Tanakhama, to plant even a mixture of Bikurim and Chulin, or Maishashani and Chulin, and if you do plant it, then that which grows from it is treated as if it was definite Bikurim, or definite Maishashani, and therefore those restrictions apply. However, Rabbi Shimon Matir, Rabbi Shimon permits that which grows from these, so for example, you'd be able to take it out of Yerushalayim, even a non-Kur would be able to eat it, even an animal would be able to eat the Maishashani, because according to Rabbi Shimon, it's a very big stringency to say that if you plant a mixture of Bikurim and Chulin, then even that which grows from it is considered now to be like definite Bikurim or definite Maishashani. We are not that strict, but either way, that concludes the list. Those are the things which apply to Maishashani and Bikurim. But do not apply to Truma. Mishnah Gimel, third list, yes, but Truma over Maisa. The following things apply to Truma and Maisashani. Masha Ain came by Bikurim, but do not apply to Bikurim. Firstly, Shatruma over Maisa, Oysterma Sideren. Truma and Maisa forbid the rest of the threshing floor, meaning until you have separated all of the Trumas and Maisas and the various tithes, one's produce is called Tevel, which means it is untithe and it's forbidden to eat that produce. However, even if you haven't separated Bikurim, you're still able to eat from the produce. Secondly, Vyeshlam Shir, they have a fixed amount which have to be separated. When it comes to Maisa Shani, Midu Araisa one has to separate a tenth of the produce. And when it comes to Truma, although Midu Araisa there isn't a fixed amount, a fixed percentage, Midu Abonon, one needs to separate either a sixtieth, a fiftieth, or a fortieth of his produce and give that to a coin as Truma. Now the truth is, according to many, even Bikurim also has an amount Midu Abonon. The one is supposed to separate a 60th of his produce, the first 60th which ripen, as Bikurim. So what does the Mishnah mean? That only Maishashani and Truma have a fixed amount but not Bikurim? So one answer given is that although the fixed amount for Truma is not made the Araisa, there is nevertheless a hint in the Posuk, known as an Asmachta, which is sort of a hint in the Posuk for a Midrabonon law, which they found after making the Rabbinic law. And therefore at least there is some basis for that fixed amount in the Torah. Whereas when it comes to Bikurim, there is no fixed amount in the Torah, and therefore it is not similar to Maishashani, whereas Truma is at least slightly similar to Maishashani, in that it has a hint in the Torah for its fixed amount. Furthermore, the obligation to separate Truma and Maishashani applies to all produce, or at least far more produce than Bikurim, because Bikurim only applies to the Shivas Haminim. Truma and Maishashini apply whether there is a Besamikdosh standing or not. There's a discussion in the Mephorishim as to whether this is Midur Araisa or Midur Abonon. Some hold that without a Besamikdosh, the obligation of tithes is only Midur Abonon. But when it comes to Bikurim, there's no obligation whatsoever without the Besamikdosh, because the entire obligation is Tovi Besashem Aleikecha. They should bring the fruits to the house of Hashem your God. So when there is no longer a Beis Hamikdash, then the mitzvah of Bikurim no longer applies. Now, if you recall, at the beginning of the Masechda, we listed a number of people who were not obligated to bring Bikurim at all, since the Torah says that the land on which the trees grew must be totally owned by you. It must be only your land. And therefore, we listed a few people who, if they steal the land, for example, or if they just work the land, then they wouldn't need to bring Bikurim, since although the tree might be theirs, the ground on which it grew was not theirs. Now, when it comes to tithes, any tree or produce which is grown in Eretz Israel, even if it was grown illegally, it's still obligated in tithes, and therefore, when it comes to an oris or a chaycher who rent the field and work the field and then give a percentage or a fixed amount to the owner of the field, or a thief who basically says, your land or your life, so the person gives him his land, but he doesn't really give him the ownership of the land because he thinks he'll be able to get the land back. 
So if the thief then plants that ground, it's not considered his ground, so it's exempt from Bikurim, but nevertheless it will be obligated in tithes with a gazlon, and the same applies to a regular thief. Says the Mishnah, Hari Eidu Batrum over Maisa, these are the things which apply to Truma and Maisa Shani. Masha'in came by Bikurim, but do not apply to Bikurim. Mishnah Dalad, now we're going to have the exact opposite. The Yeshba Bikurim, the following things apply to Bikurim. Special unique laws which apply to Bikurim. Masha'in came by Truma over Maisa, which do not apply to Truma and Maisa Shani. We're going to learn at the beginning of the next parak that as soon as the first fruits begin to ripen on a tree, even while they are still attached to the tree, the owner of the tree goes to that fruit and he marks that fruit so that he knows that that was the first one to ripen. And immediately once he has marked the fruit and designated it as the one which will be brought as Bikurim, that fruit gains the status of Bikurim already from that point. Bikurim are acquired, that means that it is already considered the property of Koyanim, even while it is still attached to the ground. It's not designated to a specific Kohen, but it's considered designated to Kohanim as a whole, because it already gains the status of Bikurim from that point onwards. Whereas when it comes to Trumus and Mysus, tithes are only separated much later on, when the entire harvest is completed. Continues the mission of Adam calls for the Bikurim, one is technically able to make his entire field, all of the produce which grows there, Bikurim. He could bring it all up to the Beis HaMikdash voluntarily and give all of it to a Kohen. And although the Torah says that the first of your fruit should be Bikurim, there's a Pesach which uses the word Kol unnecessarily. Kol meaning all. All of your first fruits. And we learn from there that if you want to, although the mitzvah is just to bring the first ones, if you want to, you can bring all of the fruit. On the other hand, as we learned in previous Mesechtas, when it comes to Truma and Maisa, one does have to leave some of it for himself so that it is considered a portion of his produce, as the Torah implies. Next, the Chayov Ba'achrusam, he is obligated to replace them, he has full responsibility over them, like we learnt earlier on in the first Perek, that if something happens to the Bikurim after he designated them, before he has brought them to the Beis HaMikdash, so he has to separate other fruit and bring those to the Beis HaMikdash. On the other hand, when it comes to Truma and Maisa, as soon as he has designated them, the rest of his produce is permitted, and so that basically means it's impossible to separate tithes again, because you only separate tithes from untithed produce. And the remaining four things which the mission will now list are actually four mitzvahs which one has to do when he brings the Bikurim to the Beis HaMikdash, as well as just bringing them. There are four other mitzvahs which the Torah commands, and that is Ut'unim Korban. It requires a Korban Shalomim to be bought, and the truth is it does not necessarily have to be bought at exactly the same time when you bring the Bikurim, but as soon as you bring the Bikurim, you become obligated to bring a Korban Shalomim as well. And the reason for this is because the Torah says when you bring Bikurim, the Samach you need to rejoice over all the goodness, and a Pasuk elsewhere associates a Korban Shalomim with joy, and therefore you need to bring a Korban Shalomim to express your joy when bringing the Bikurim. Secondly, the Shir, it requires singing by the Leviim. When one brings Bikurim into the Beis Hamikdash, the Leviim would sing. We'll see more about this in the third parak as well, what exactly they would sing. And this is also learnt out of Psukim. Thirdly, or Snufa, it requires waving, just like when certain Karbonus are brought. The person bringing the Karbon needs to wave the Karbon parts in all the different directions, together with a Kohen. So too the same applies to Bikurim, and this is also learned from Pesukim, comparing Bikurim to a uh, carbon. 
So Bikurim also needs to be waived together with a Kohen and the owner who is bringing the Bikurim. And finally, the Lina. Interestingly, there's also an obligation to sleep overnight in Yerushalayim on that night after you brought the Bikurim. And this is learned from the Pasuk which says, You shall turn away in the morning and go back to your tents, which implies that only the next morning, the next day, can you return home, which means that that day, that night, you'll have to stay overnight in Yerushalayim. Of course, one of the ideas behind this is to show that he is not quickly going away from the mitzvah, going away from the Beis Hamikdash, rather he's staying there for as long as he can.